The final season of Power Book 2, Ghost, begins. And for Tariq St. Patrick, it's the moment of truth. In the wake of being betrayed, pushed out of the drug game, and almost killed, Tariq is out for revenge. Will he prove to be like his father and do whatever is to be done to protect his family and his future? Or is he his own man? Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now only on Stars and the Stars app. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. What's up, family? I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of Street Politicians, the, the place, place where, where the, the streets, streets and politics meet. Street Politicians is a thing. Number one. Number one <laughs> podcast in America. Number one in, in our world. minds. No, no, now no, no, we need no. to you make it on that. the charts. It's in the world. It Listen, ain't in our minds, man. Yes, in our hearts and minds. In the world. Listen, but it needs know to be on the charts, which means that people need to support um, people need to share and tell your family members and friends that Street Politicians is a real thing. Um, we have tried our best over the last several shows, all our shows, to bring information that people want to hear. Um, to and ensure that's pertinent that's, that's important relevant information for our communities. It's not always, um, you know, political, but I believe, we believe that everything we do is political, from the food we eat to the drinks that we have to the fun we try to have to the things that happen in our communities. Even sex is political. So whatever we're talking about, uh, somehow or another, it cir- circles back to how it impacts our sex community. Is um, okay. Sex is political. I it's guess. Very political. I mean, it is. You you gotta think about it because no, it's very political. It, but it I is. mean, nowadays you need a you need a um, you need a um, somebody got to sign off. Well, you mean that consent? <laughs> yeah, you okay, need a political right agreement. Language. You need to get a political agreement. It's not to have political. Sex. That would be me. legal. Number political. You said it's political, <laughs> so we need political agreements, man. Get you a sign before you do anything these days. Get you. a... Sign the dotted line. But I line. think that even if you sign something, which means that there is a level of consent. You can renege on the contract? In the midst of it, you can say, I don't want to do it. Lord and that's Lord. it. That's so, like it. So, as soon so as where's the protection for the man, no, though? The protection is not to be doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. So what does that's that mean? It. So just means only thing a man can do is just not have sex. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you should know. Mm-hmm. First of all, the amount of people who go out and report that there's been a rape or some type of assault is very, very low. Let's okay. just be clear. Okay. So that's not a thing. It's not like every time or a lot of times that women have sex, they say, I was raped. Okay, so we're not going to start that narrative. But, but if happens. you are having sex with a woman and at some point she decides that I don't want to do it anymore, mm-hmm. I don't like it, you stink, 
you're hurting me, um, whatever. Mm-hmm. Stop. Okay. And there are many men. So there's some men. Let me mm-hmm. not say many because I don't know many. Okay. But I, I well, I corrected myself. Let's get it correct. But there are some men who will not stop because they feel like, hey, I'm gonna get off first, and then we can, you know, you can go. Well, what, what what I'll say in in those situations is, there's a heightened sense of tension at that point, right? So after we've already gotten to a point, and you've allowed a man to enter, and you said, okay, we good, and then mid stroke, when man felt like he about two more strokes from his completion, and you like stop, he probably don't even hear you. He's no. so engaged, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. So there there is a very no, very but he has tricky situation. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And the reality is that most men are not hearing but that. But that's a, but no, no, that's no. just I, a reality. By the way, I don't think that that's most. Number one. Well, there are a lot and of I, men and, that are not. And, don't and, even. They not even. When you talking to them, no, they don't even. But hear see, you. but that 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 actually lends itself to a larger problem. So tell me what that. The problem, problem is the idea that the woman is meat and not a human. Because if you're dealing with a human and you're having sex, you are supposed to be in tune with what is being said back and forth well, and well, the feeling of what is happening naturally. Let me and tell there you are what, several women who are, are in this studio. There are several women who don't stop when a man say stop. Is there are several women? And I'm not saying that it's okay, right. Okay, so but I'm what I'm trying that to explain right. to you that is a natural reaction throughout sex. But no, 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 there are no, women no, that no, you're no. having sex I with, no, and no, you no. be like, wait, wait, and they be like, no, no, they get they get into a point and then they won't stop immediately. They grab you and hold you like, what are you doing? No, no. Don't but, move from there. No, but no. My this is son, it. wait, wait, because I'm still trying to get off. It's very different from stop. So, and by the way, we as women have been trying many, so not, wait, not all. Wait, like, wait, can wait, I just finish my wait, point? Wait, wait, because I'm still trying to can get I off. Can I finish what? I'm, I don't understand what that means, though. You what would does have it to mean? actually let me finish my point, and okay. then you would understand. There is a weight that is associated with don't move the, a different way, don't change whatever you're doing mm-hmm. because I'm trying to get to a climax, mm-hmm. right? There is that. Yeah. That's a different type of weight. What we are now talking, can I finish my point? And in order for you to understand, you actually have to be willing to listen than rather to speak. Because, because you will never, but I'm you not will not, ever, but you will not let, you don't know what I'm talking about. You just said something that had I, nothing to do with what I'm I was not talking finished. about. I'm okay. not, I'm not finished. Okay. What we are attempting to do as women now is to have more conversations about what a real stop sounds like. Okay. Because what has happened is that in the past, we try to be nice about it or trying to, you know, finagle. And then you're right. It's mixed signals that's being sent in the middle of a situation that then when it's over, you serious. And the person didn't recognize that you were that serious. Mm-hmm. So now we're having more conversations, especially with young girls. We're trying to have those conversations. I've been seeing it in circles about what stop really means. At what point when you when you want someone to stop what do you actually say that means stop now i don't want to do this anymore not (laughs) you know or wait or whatever no stop Mm -hmm. and the other person should hear stop Mm -hmm. 
Right? Don't you think? Yeah. Uh, you think? Th- okay, so now that's what I'm trying to say. If you hear what I'm but saying. But that's what I'm trying to tell you. But you just made a whole about, you talked about women, right? Mm-hmm. My thing, when you said to stop because you're in the right position, I was talking about a man, right? Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation about when a man is saying stop, and you're trying to say you're in the right position, and I don't want you to stop, and he's saying to stop, right? You you equated the Right, role- thanks. I'm, I'm so glad. What? That, that doesn't happen? That among our production crew... This young lady is looking like what is he talking about? So what I was talking about, man, I was talking when I when I gave you my instance, mm-hmm. right? I said there are times <laughs> when men are having sex, right? And a man be like, wait, 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 they stop because and a woman is like, no, 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 don't stop, right? And you said you you confused about are you still confused about what I'm saying? Go ahead, I'm gonna listen. Okay, no, because you look confused. But I don't I'm want, gonna listen. But I want to stop. But speak. I don't. I don't want you to be confused. No, but I, I think stop. you might get to the point where okay, I'm gonna so understand. The, so the point is, when a man is saying stop, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a responsibility for the woman to stop? Absolutely. Okay, so what I'm trying to tell you is that m- women don't stop. And, and what I am saying to you... They don't. So what I'm trying to tell what, you, the same the same thing that you're saying, because I've been a victim of those things. I've been having sex with whoever and, and didn't got mad about probably something or or was in the middle of it and be like, nah, I don't feel like doing it. And be like, no, no, they're not stopping. They're not stopping. When they get to a point where they feel like they're about to climax, they're not stopping because you said stop. My son, I think that what you're, what you're getting or not understanding is that it doesn't matter who's doing okay. it. We're saying that there's a problem okay. with the way in which people are engaging in sex that is creating a situation I think where people are that... confused. I didn't mean it. This and that. Now when somebody's saying, is. I don't, I, I meant, I, I said, I, well, what, what else is it? Because I, I personally is... have been a victim of, well, I, think... I want you to get well, off we of have, me what and I'm you keep saying, going. I'm not, saying that, not you. And I'm God not, bless. And I, and I don't want to disregard anything yeah. that you're saying because... That is your personal situation, and if you were violated, then it need it needs to be rectified, and you mm-hmm. need to, and somebody need to be held accountable. Whatever the situation, I'm saying there are situations, right? That the problem, what, what the problem is for me is that accountability in sex seems to only fall on the man, right? Whenever there's a situation, if two, I was listening to a conversation, if two, if we both getting drunk. Me and you both drunk at the same time. Not me and you. Me and another one, we both drunk. We both taking the same thing. I'm inebriated. You inebriated. Mm-hmm. Who's, whose responsibility is to know who's too high to have the sex, right? Or yeah. who's too drunk to have the That's sex? That's a good who conversation. Re- exactly. Who is the responsible? But what happens is it always falls on the man. No, all, no. Well, all of these situations, if, the, if we both in the situation and we both having sex and boom, boom, and it gets heated and I'm hamped up and amped up and you decide that that point that... You don't want to do it no more, or you say nah, it's too much, and you push your and I and I go one too many, and you're like I didn't know, and I actually climax because if I, if a man climaxed during it and be like yo I didn't know I didn't know you wanted to stop, at that point he's completely violated the the, the situation right. So so who so who, I so so I so first of all, what I'm saying is that the scenario that you just laid out is generally not what's happening where people are claiming rape. What women are saying is I passed out. I was out. That's not really true. That though. is the, that if, is the if, scenario no, they're saying. They're saying I don't that, even that know is, what happened what I'm to me. No, they they, they saying that they don't. No, 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 no. no. What you, I'm trying to say, no, no, no. That is not accurate in most of the situations out here. There are situations. So you're saying that people are reporting. This is what you're saying. Yes. And I would like for our guests to write in about this. Yeah. 
Are you saying that the majority? I'm not of saying the majority, but you said mo you I used said the words are, just now. No, most I said the, of the situations. I said the I situations hear, that I'm but hearing you just said now. Most of the situations that I hear. I'm so, not saying so most of the situations that, all so together. So you're saying that most of the situations you hear where rape is being claimed. Yes. It is two people who were inebriated the same. The there woman says she. There are even actually more than question? one sexual Can encounter. Can I finish okay. my question? Okay. Cool. That the woman says I was up. We were having sex. Everything is whatever. And I now just feel he raped me. No, that's okay. not what I'm saying. So what, what I'm, I'm saying, saying is, is that, that there was a point throughout that sexual experience that everybody was involved. And I'm not saying it's not. So what I'm trying to say is at that point, the woman dictates that some point throughout me engaging with you, I lost. I didn't know what happened but anymore. That's, but what I'm explaining to you is that what we... I'm saying maybe you're hearing something different. Okay. I think we hear a lot about the same situations. Uh -huh. These women are saying, right, I was into whatever, we was hanging out or whatever. The next thing I know, I woke up and something happened that I don't feel, I didn't consent to. I don't know about those situations. Okay. Well, so I'm those situations, those situations, I'm not aware. I'm aware of because that there was there was foreplay. There was all of these okay. things that everybody was aware of. What I'm saying is that the rules of engagement definitely are being more defined, right? But at the end of the day, I think that it is important to uh, to to say or to understand that for the most part. What we are hearing is women saying, it was cool, we was good, whatever. And then, I don't know what happened. Something else happened. And all that I'm telling you is what I try to talk to my son about and what hopefully all of us are saying. If you are having sex with a woman and all of a sudden she is not functioning at a regular... But, you're not, but what I'm trying to explain to you is you're giving somebody a responsibility that might not be functioning but, at the regular at the same time. We both okay, not functioning. But what I'm telling you is so that... So we both engaging son, in the same activity. We both drunk. You're telling me that you, both don't, our, you don't know. If you're having... So I'm do you asking, don't know? I'm asking you a okay. question. I'm asking you. Well, I would do you think... Know? Yeah, I think I know. Can I speak uh -huh. to you? Yeah, I think I know uh -huh. if I'm having sex with a man and he does this. Uh -huh. And he's not responding uh -huh. in the same way that he was. Uh -huh. I think I know that. Yeah. I think I know that if he's not touching and moving and saying something, uh -huh. that something is wrong. Okay. Yeah. So, so what, so I'm, what saying I'm saying is, to is that if this. a woman, if you are having sex with a that, woman, this conversation and all of a sudden is, we'll the go around woman in just, go, just goes out okay. and she's not doing anything exactly. anymore, do you not think so, that at that point you're supposed to be like something is wrong Okay, here? so think about this. Or you just supposed to keep having Listen sex to with what a I'm person saying. that's not even responsive. Not at all. So what I'm trying to say, not at all. I wouldn't, right? Not if, of a conscious mind. But what I'm trying to say, the minute that she's no longer conscious, right? She don't know what happened after she lost consciousness. And that's why you're so, supposed to say, I'm okay, not doing anything Okay, so once else. she stopped, right? If she made a conscious decision that whatever she did after she was asleep was wrong to her, and she don't even know what happened. We both was engaging. You fell asleep. You lost consciousness. say fell asleep. Oh, or you lost consciousness. See? Okay, lose it conscious, whatever it is. If you lose consciousness was in that act, and you made a conscious decision that something happened after you lost consciousness that you don't even know about, and I did it wrong. But that's and but and see that is why again, and we got to go to our, uh -huh. our regular topic uh -huh. that the idea of people heavily getting drunk or using drugs and having sex. If I was a man, I would understand just like you tell me. You gotta let me. I didn't say a word. Get ready to. I'm just looking you was at ready. you. You've you been was looking ready. at me the whole time. Can I, I just say tell you word. this? 
Just like you told me before, and I have argued you down about this point, but I get it to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. although I still don't agree, but I understand. Do not wear your miniskirt down the alley where you know those men that are over there, do they rape women over there before? It's a bunch of men over there. You know the situation. Mm-hmm. So if you wear your miniskirt and you go down in that alley, yes, you have said, of course they shouldn't touch you. Mm-hmm. But if you, you as a parent, you want to inform a woman that something really bad could happen to you if you as go you down in that alleyway yes, doing do. certain things. The same thing for our men. Mm-hmm. We can sit here and go back and forth all day about up, down, right, or wrong. We need to be telling young men, you have a responsibility as a man who most of the time is stronger. You have a certain level of aggression that is different. That you, if you are going to enter a sexual situation with another young woman, you need to not be too high where she could say she didn't know or this or that. You don't need to. It's not that serious to get it off. So what I'm trying to. What I'm, so I'm saying that so just like you try to tell I'm, us, we're trying to we tell, trying you, to tell you. I'm, you talking about somebody versus a crime and a sexual predator. And you don't think so it's listen, a crime? So no, listen, no, no. Listen to what I'm trying. You, I, you tell me, me telling you to walk down the alley where two consenting adults, none of us is a criminal. We both like each other. Okay, we well, both go to the bar. So listen to what I'm shit. saying. We both go to a bar. We both having the same amount of drinks. You buy a drink, I buy a drink. No, we both... that's not what happened. Okay, so... That's not what we talking about. So let's go past okay, it. Let's, okay, that's yeah, not happening. Yeah, no, we have yeah, okay. to... We need a whole show. A whole show. On this topic. Because there has to be... What I don't accountability want has to be shared with any and, situation and that, that two people not. enter in. Nobody is and saying that's all that I'm it's saying. not. I think accountability absolutely has to be shared. Yep. But just like... We, as women, have been taught that we have a heavier responsibility in multiple areas. Okay. Women have been taught all our so, lives good- that we have a responsibility in a number of mm-hmm. areas to be more conscious of how we look, what we do, how we come on to a man yep. in certain situations because we give the wrong impression. Okay. We've been taught that. Yeah. And so I'm saying... That so everybody in this situation has is eliminated. Responsi- so, no, it's so not it, eliminated. So there's no responsibility It's not. You shouldn't there. be in certain situations. Okay. But I'm saying also, oh, okay. we were talking about a certain thing. What and what we, we have to about? stop doing is every time we get into a conversation on what our brothers can do better, even if there's something that women can do better also, but we sometimes about the conversation one situation. can just not, be on what our brothers was, can do better, not, just like no, our sisters ma'am. can do better. This conversation was about... And other This was about both of us. It wasn't just about our brothers. I'm just... No, actually, that's not... Let's go to the topic because this is a whole nother show. We could do this as a show because it's a debate and I think it's a healthy debate. But once again, I do want to say this. I want to state this for the record. I do not condone or believe that any man should do anything that a woman is not willing to do. Nothing at all. There's no situation where a woman says stop. She doesn't want to do something that a man should move further beyond that point. I do not believe that at all. No, I okay. understand. I, so I mean, let's get we that clear. That. I think I want well, that to have, be clarity. We have a problem with rape culture in general, yeah. and it's th- certain things that we've been taught. I that think have sex, allowed co- for sex, sex culture has now turned into rape. No, culture. it's not. Rape. It, it is. has not now. It is. It's been that way. No, no, no. It's rape culture. Now rape culture was discussed. clearly defined if before. You know, it was now not. there's no clear definition. Are you crazy? Of it. Yes, it was. You, are you serious? Yes. Do you know that women have been being raped and people didn't believe and understand it? Believe it's now being defined. Believe it is people are beginning to actually people say people didn't believe you what they said happened. No. That's what they're saying. Before you could keep was pumping over, and get away with it, there and it was, was no big there was thing. no le- never legal standard. Yo, that said you can keep there, pumping. Well, and get it, away no, with. it's there was it was no. never. Le- 
It's At no not, point. It's, it needs to be. Okay. There needs to be. And it, we still have not clearly defined what rape looks like, especially since women are generally on the, the wrong side of it. But at the same time, I do agree that men are raped as well. And just and, and because of the way that culture and society has been set up, not enough of it is being discussed. I'm finished talking to you anyway about... Because we always have these conversations. This wouldn't be the first time. I mean, listen. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I just but have to I speak. don't agree okay. at all. We know that. But I have to speak from a man's perspective. Because I agree. this is a situation. But maybe you should think from a woman's perspective and we'll have less issues. Well, maybe you should think from a man's perspective. That's true. I do. I just think when there is a situation that requires two people, then there has to be joint responsibility. I, and I think that's true. Okay. Well, we've discussed many times why I still don't agree. But um, the thought of the day changes the topic. I'm trying to figure out why we are still living in a society. Like, why are corporations and other people still getting it wrong when addressing racism, violence against black people, violence against black women, uh, the disrespect of our communities, and the complete, like the unmitigated gall, is that what they say, of white women in their dangerous tears. Cameron. Karen, well, you know, and the, and I in my book, State of Emergency, yeah, they I talk a lot about Karen. It's literally a movie. No, I know there's a movie Karen, like it's, Karen coming It's out. a real movie. But it's, Karen, and there's a lot out. of focus on it because we're bringing attention to Karenism. And I talk about it in State of Emergency. But Karenism is super dangerous, man. It it's is. super dangerous. It gets people killed. And everyone saw in the last few days, we've been watching this video erupt, um, totally go, going viral, of a black woman at a Victoria's Secrets in New Jersey. Um, the video comes on. You see a white woman walk up to her and basically try to hit her or hit the phone. I heard like a, some sound, you know, that she was definitely charging her. And what goes on after that? The screaming, the yelling, the crying, the falling out, and then chasing this black woman around the store. And what you hear in the video is the black woman like chuckling out of disbelief. I can't believe this. What, what is happening here? But you watch the store, uh, and, 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 I, and I do think, my son, we're living in such a sick society. Mm-hmm. People have been indoctrinated to violence, especially violence against black folks so much that we're actually watching the... Cashier still doing business, staff still working in the store, people still trying to make their purchase, even though this lady, the white woman, let's just say you care about the white woman because she's the way she's screaming and crying and laying down on the ground. One might want to try to figure out, are you okay? Like, what's wrong with you? And it doesn't take long for you to realize that she's doing all of this because she has harmed the black woman and she's now having a tantrum and falling out so that she can be protected. 
from abusive and dangerous behavior. You can figure that out quickly. But I'm just saying, let's just say you see the black woman, you don't care what she's doing. Mm -hmm. You see a white woman down on the ground. How are you still making a purchase and not stopping to say, what the hell is going on here? But instead, they stop for two seconds to tell the black woman, why don't you get away from her? Leave her alone. Although this white woman has attacked her first. You know what? All of that is wrong. The black, the white woman's behavior, the the store continuing to do business, the behave, the white woman who I hope somebody finds her name, who stands there and tells a black woman uh, to to leave her alone as if it's the black woman's fault, who has no sensitivity or understanding, doesn't even try to understand anything that's happening. Okay, all those things are wrong. But what is most important are two things. What the two things that are most important are this. One, the police or the security, the mall security, they do nothing except escort the black woman away. Ask her to leave. They do nothing with this white lady looking at her behavior, seeing what she's doing. I wonder what the black supervisor of the Victoria's Secret store is even saying and reporting to the police because she is patiently dealing with and addressing this white woman. And I see many things there. I see, number one, that you're very patient with her. I wonder if it was a black woman doing all of that, would you be as patient? I see that and I have to ask the question because sometimes our own people can be the biggest uh, obstacle to justice. So mm -hmm. I, I see that. But even if she feels harmed, hurt, or whatever, feels um, saddened, frustrated by what she sees happening there, she also knows that she cannot do but so much to this white woman. Mm -hmm. So even, 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 even if she's like, nah, like even if she said back to me, nah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not the one who doesn't want to see justice for this black woman, right? And we believe her and we understand that. She understands the way that she has to deal with the white woman. Yeah. That the trauma, that she's also experiencing trauma in that moment. She's trying to do her job and yet she has to stop to deal with an idiot. Okay, a racist idiot, by the way. Yeah. So, so that's trauma. So much trauma going on. So the, the, the security, they do nothing except, nothing except cause more, inflict more abuse and harm to this black woman. But now the next thing is Victoria's Secret puts out a statement. Now we're going to put the statement up so people can read it for themselves. But what I found to be interesting is that the statement, very light, you know, we're, we're, we're investigating diversity and inclusion, all of this bullshit that is this, the cookie-cutter message. Yeah, what does diversity and inclusion have to do the, with? Diversity and equity and this yeah, and the third. It's bullshit. It's racism. It's bullshit that, that, the, that they, they, it's called cookie-cutter responses that PR agencies give you so everybody deals with the situation the same way unless you are a corporation that has somebody in there, particularly a black person who's saying that ain't going to work. We got to put a little bit of more muscle into our messaging. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what we see. We know yep. this already. But they use the word altercation between <laughs> two people. There was one person the, that was attacked. I'm, I'm trying to, where's the altercation? There, it's never an altercation. And, no, it is sometimes I mean, an altercation. No, no. You can't say never. Well, it's not never. I wouldn't say never. I'm saying, but usually, you know, I've, I've been watching these current videos lately. The other day, a woman grabbed somebody's package 
And then Mace, the man, because he tried to get a package and fell and said, you killed me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Said, and what did he say? He said, nobody kills you. You're not dead. You know? <laughs> so it's just like when you see it's these things, it's, it's, it's just it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing that you mm-hmm. could ever see. It's like it is it's mind-boggling. Right. You know that black people have to every day deal with some level oh, of white supremacy yes. and racism yes. that we have to deal with microaggressions, full aggressions. We have to deal we and we have to keep control. We have to stay composed. Right. Because when she hit the woman or charged at her or started running behind her, it turns her, into everything. Some people would have said, "Okay, oh my time God, for time me to for you." Exactly. But they didn't. She didn't. She and, and you know. She's a better person than most of us, you know, because most of us are not going to deal with that. But the reality of the situation is, you know, the Karenism and the emboldenedness of Karenism is at an all-time high. It is. And it's like... Oh, and, don't and say these, that because Brian, what's his name? Brian... Who? What's the one's name who told Kevin, who, who basically tried to, like, chastise Kevin Hart when he said that white supremacy is at an all-time high? Brian, uh, y'all know who I'm talking about. Him, Brian something. Yeah. The one I think he'd be on HBO. Yeah, I know you. Now I put it in your mind. You're gonna be trying your best to figure it out. They gonna look it up. But go ahead. It's at all time high. It is, and it's and it's dangerous, and you know we don't need it. We don't need it. We just don't need it. it we don't. We we hate it here. Man. Right. Sometimes like, we I just, just hate, hate it here. Like, it's come just on, too stop much. with the shit, man. It's just too much. It is. Man. It's like it's like yo. For real? Like, you, this all is what you're doing all, all of this, this and then nobody's going to protect you. The the, the damn, on. the damn, the, the damn on, corporation, Karen. the best the corporation could do is try to come out with some shit and put it on their Twitter and hope that nobody sees it. And guess what? The Shade Room went and posted it after me because I posted it, and they saw that I posted it, and then they went to Twitter and got it because you know if they had seen it before I posted it, they would have put it on their page. So, you know, shout out to the shade room. That's all right. It's all right. But, but, but I was the one who said, hey, <laughs> did Victoria's Secret say anything? Hello? Anybody see this shit that happened? Yeah. And and then they said, and people started telling me on my page, oh, they said something. Go, go on Twitter, you know, on Instagram. They they are quick. They said, oh, oh, go over there on Twitter and see the bullshit they put on the page. And I went over there and read it and said to myself, we still have so much further to travel. Well, at least we traveling. But we traveling. We going to fight, too. And now, listen, all I know is I just need Rihanna to put a little bit more padding on the bottom of the bra so I can get me a good push-up. And Fenty will be my thing because, okay. you know, for us, by us. I get it. And by the way, his name is Bill Maher. Bill Maher. That's Bill who it is. Maher. That's who it is. He had to, first of all, if Kevin Hart says white supremacy is at all that's time it. high, then you why are you talking? Mind your business. <laughs> this ain't got nothing to do with you. What Bill, you in it? Bill, this ain't got nothing white to do man. with you. White man. White explain. Don't tell white, don't tell black people about white people doing us. Yes. You just sit there and listen. Be all ears. Yeah, like maybe men should just Listen to the women, but I was clearing my throat. I didn't say anything. That's how we own it. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. 
And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more, connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and an Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. Let's um, go to our guest, Chico Tillman, who is going to be with us, um, you know, for the next, and, and we try, y'all. We said for six, for a series of six episodes, we're going to focus very heavily on gun violence. Obviously, very heavily on gun the violence. issue of gun violence, intervention, prevention, awareness is really important to us, um, not just um, here at Street Politicians, but also in our personal lives yep. based upon our experiences, based upon... Um, you know, our work and our passion and our focus in terms of what our organization Until Freedom does. Yep. And so for six weeks um, or for six episodes, rather, we're focusing our attention on all the different areas of what it looks like to address gun violence um, in our communities. There's obviously an uptick um, in violence. There has been a spike across the nation. Yeah. We believe that a big part of what we're seeing has a lot to do with the pandemic and how the pandemic has exposed multiple epidemics within our community, whether that be housing, uh, poor health care. Uh, and when I say housing, I'm talking about the lack of housing. A lot of people found out during this pandemic that living 
um, in a home on top of other people that you're not used to seeing very often was problematic. People got put out of their homes because there was no real space for them. Um, you have a lot of issues in terms of unstable housing mm -hmm. that is very serious and it's not being talked about enough. Just doing a moratorium on rent payments is not enough to address the fact that six people are living in a one-bedroom home um, and, and, and also dealing with uh, other issues in terms of, you know, just just in some unfortunately, one the conversation we were just having about sexual abuse and things like that, both men, boys, girls, men and women um, are dealing with that in their homes and don't necessarily want to be there. Um, you have uh, food deserts, people not being able to eat properly. You have, obviously, education trauma, the educational system over this recent uh, uh, pandemic time period in the last two years, we have learned how poor our education system really, really is. Many of us already knew, but we certainly have seen it play out in a very, very real way. And then, of course, um, you know, I, I, there are so many other issues in terms of the healthcare system and how we saw with the pandemic, people who had been trying to deal with health issues for so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you're talking about pre-existing conditions. The black community, we experienced that at the highest rates. And so, so many things have been compounded that have created an environment um, that we are now seeing the violence in our community spike people dealing with their frustrations, the poverty, the lack of resources. And there are a lot of folks who are doing great work to address that. I don't know if you want to jump in first before we introduce our, our guests. No, I just want to, you know, pretty much um, remember what you were saying. You know, we're dealing with so many different layers of trauma that are contributing to this, you know, this spike in gun violence. You know, just in the Bronx the other day, a 13-year-old, 16-year-old, and a 19-year-old, all in the same area, were gunned down. You know, so were they all killed? They were all killed. Wow. You know, and it's like so when you sit there and you realize that it, that we're taking lives and losing lives at this age. You know, we all is pretty much everybody's failing. The system is failing. The community is failing. You know, when when violence and shooting becomes recreation because there's nothing else, when the guns replacing basketballs and footballs and baseballs, then we actually losing. So, you know, I, I, this is my new initiative. You know, I don't know if you guys see it. It's called Boycott Black Murder. You know, at any cost, no matter who's committing it, if it's the police, if it's people in our community, you know, we need to be boycotting black murder. So, you know, that's the initiative. And now we're going to have a conversation with another brother, friend of ours. A friend of ours. You know, we got friend. so many friends, man. This <laughs> show is just full of friends, man. You know, and um, this is somebody that I respect. The work that he's done, you know, the road he's traveled to actually do this work, you know, is, is similar to mine's being from the streets. He's he's from the streets of some of the roughest streets mm. in this country, from Chicago, and, um, you know, being formerly incarcerated, coming home to get a PhD, to be one of those who actually started to stop the violence in the mm -hmm. communities and intersect and be one of those positive role models that, you know, what we call credible messages in our yeah, community. Yeah, the yeah. brothers that we see and we know that they've been through the same thing, so therefore they have a level of credibility and they're able to connect with the communities. This is one of our brothers and one of the, the most powerful brothers in this country right now, Dr. Chico Tillman. Yes, my Dr. Brother. Tillman. Hey. First of all, I want to say I'm humbled and it's a pleasure 
to um, be, a, be a part of this program because I respect and appreciate the work you do day in and day out and some of the challenges that, that come with the work. So it's really an honor just to be having this dialogue on this platform with you. And I want to say publicly how much I appreciate the work you do and how I see firsthand all the sacrifices you make for our people to make this place, this country, a better place to live in for indigenous people. Thank you so much, Chico. We yes, appreciate that. You, you know, you are certainly our brother. Um, you know, I want to make sure that folks understand who we're talking to. In this series where we're focusing on gun violence, each show has different things. Sometimes we're talking to victims so we can learn more about their experiences and how they have turned their pain into purpose. On our last show, uh, we talked with a young sister by the name of Patience Mary, who was shot in the Pulse nightclub um, in Florida. Uh, she had been, she was living out of town and and had been in Florida on vacation, mm -hmm. and she was shot along with her sister-in-law. And her sister-in-law didn't make it. Uh, Patience was shot a few times in her legs, um, but she now is over the gun violence. She's the outreach director for the Gun Violence Survivors Foundation, and she talks so much, Chico, about how there is really not enough resources for actual survivors. There's work being done to address those people who might be shooters, uh, of course. There's work being done to try to curb violence, but there's not enough that is out there to help people who've actually been impacted by gun violence as a victim. And so, um, and also she has a book, she's the author of Survive, uh, survive to Live. Uh, so folks who are listening, go out and please get that book and support Patience Mary. We also have Mary, Maggie Carey, our young sister, on. Maggie um, is a, a, an influencer. She's a TV personality who was shot in a nightclub in New York City at a, um, a, a concert where our brother, Shanduke McFadder, who does gun violence prevention work in New York City, you know Shanduke, his brother was shot and killed in that shooting, in that incident that happened as well. And so we had both of them on. We wanted to also make sure we focus on women, right? Mm -hmm. You know, women who would, who are victims because the conversation often goes to men quickly because there's so many of our brothers who are either shooting or getting shot. Um, but in this, in this particular show, we talked to uh, two women. And the reason why we wanted to have you on as the senior research director for the University of Chicago's Crime and Education Lab, um, I, I think, and, and my son and I were talking about what this series looks like, we have to have people elected officials, folks who are practitioners, folks who do mental health support, mm -hmm. because this issue of gun violence is so much bigger than just putting law enforcement in our communities. Hasn't worked. So that's why we wanted to have you on today. So Chico, tell us what you've been doing, what you're working on, and then of course we'll get into how people can be helpful. The, the first thing I want to say is Thank you for recognizing that we can't arrest our way out of it. Mm -hmm. And I want to start by saying that most people don't even think critically that when a situation happens or if a situation occurring, you don't call law enforcement till it reaches a, a particular point or escalates to a point where a crime has been committed. And then it's too late. Somebody already shot. So one of the things I'm working on with the crime lab is building systems and structures throughout the United States.
to change the way we look at it. Um, I think we have to address the root causes of violence. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is systemic racism. Um, and it, it, and it's, in, it, it's in a plethora of spaces. It's not just, and what it does is it allows individuals who live in these vulnerable communities to be traumatized day and night so that when they reach conflict, they already dealing with all these microaggressions mm. and they're at a boiling point. So something as simple as an argument escalates to somebody being um, killed. So I say, first, we got to address these systems. And I love the work that you're doing because it addresses the systems. Um, another huge thing we're doing nationally, I'm working with a group of great minds from all over the country on an initiative called Fund Peace. And what we're doing is getting these resources down to the people on the ground who live in these vulnerable communities. When I say vulnerable communities, I mean disinvested communities. And I think the big problem is people want us to work a miracle with short money. Mm. If you have only a certain amount of money, somebody's gonna be left out. And they're giving us a short amount of money to work out all the kinks around violence when violence occurs for a plethora of reasons, which the government needs to be involved in because they help create these situations. That's exactly right. You know, so for me, it's like, where... You know, how are we going about getting this money? Like, what is what is the process? Like, I say this all the time. People hate when you say defund the police. So my, my new thing is refund the community. How how should we be going about? Like, what is your process? And what is, how have you gone to get these resources to give back to the communities? Well, well right now, there are about four pathways. The first pathway, which is the lowest hanging fruit, is the ARP money. The ARP money is the $1.9 trillion that President Biden um, sent to each state, county, and city. And the money is supposed to be for individuals that were heavily impacted by COVID. Now, we know nobody was negatively impacted more than Black and brown people. Mm. And I got to say this, too. One of my biggest problems is a lot of people that's in these positions are black and won't give up the money. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a huge problem mm -hmm. because I would think out of anybody, they would be able to um, have empathy with the pain of relatives, in many cases, that's going through these um, challenges. So, so wait, so 1.9, you said 1.9? Trillion. 1.9 trillion dollars. Uh, the the president Biden sent to states, cities, and municipalities as a as a a COVID relief package, right? Right. And so it is supposed to address issues that is happening in communities in the state or at, at the city level and the local on the local level that that um, can be directly connected to the impact of COVID. That's what was supposed to happen. So yes. you are at Fun Peace are saying we know that the issue with gun violence, a lot of the new numbers and the spikes that we're seeing around the country have to do with or are directly associated with the after effects of the COVID crisis. And therefore, some form of the, those dollars should be dedicated to the grassroots efforts in the community. 
perfectly stated. Okay. So now, but what if they say, well, we just want to give the money to police? Because we're seeing some of that happening across the nation. What we ask for, let me be clear. We ask for 2%. I'm, wow. I'm, I'm going to make you laugh. We ask for 2% from the state and 5% from the city and municipalities. So it's not like we're asking for a lot. So mm. we're asking for two. And, and the thing is, I, as I stated before, more police doesn't mean the violence is going to is gonna um, decrease. Right. It, it just doesn't. Right. And, um, I was at a, I was on a panel with my son in Chicago and he said something real, real critical. If you think about affluent communities, you never see the police. Mm -hmm. You never see a police. If you see a police, it's at a Dunkin' Donuts and mm -hmm. they eating donuts. <laughs> right. They're not riding around stopping people. So to think that that's a different form of policing to work in our community without cultural competency and cultural sensitivity is insane. Right. Exactly. Right. You know what I want to ask you? I, I, and then we're going backwards with this, but I just want you to give a little bit of your background. Like, you know, where did you yeah. come from? What, you know, your situation? How did you get to this place to where you are this esteemed doctor who understands our community and able to, to really give the solutions that's going to change? First, I want to start by saying um, I'm from the Austin community, which is um, numerically the most violent community in, in Chicago. Mm. Um, it's one of the poorest communities. So I'm from the hood or the street. Um, I do have a background in a subculture group, which means I was, in, in, in clear terms or vivid terms, I was a part of a gang. Um, but I had an epiphany, and I was um, sentenced to 20 years in prison under draconian crack sentence, but I should have only got three and a half years. So I did 13 excessive years because of racial profiling and the criminalization of black people mm. by the United States government. Mm. Let me start there. So at the, in prison, I realized uh, what allowed me to be able to mentally go through this process was that I realized some of the things I was doing wrong and the influence I had on so many people. So I wanted to do something different. And coming home, I fell in love with this process of being able to save lives because it was a conflict between two groups and I knew both of the guys and I was able to stop people from killing each other. And I'm gonna be honest, I never felt anything remotely close to the joy and satisfaction that I got from saving a life. Mm. And I was bought into that process. But what I learned soon as I got into the process is that Without education, I wouldn't be able to make any impact in terms of decision. And that's what started me on this track or this road to going back to school. And the difference from me and a lot of other people is I'm still connected to people in the street. My perception of people hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. I don't think they monsters. I think they just like me. They need pathways or opportunities to change their life. And they need to be connected to people like me to know that it's possible. Mm. So I still have relationships in my community. I still go in my old community. I still love on them guys. I'm patient with them because it was a process for me to change. Mm. And I think me having this triadic perspective, a person that was once an individual at the highest risk, a person that was a practitioner, and a person that's now 
able to look at different theoretical concepts and make it operational as a researcher makes me a little different from somebody who really don't understand the culture and challenges of our people. Amen. So president, so you know, I w- I'm all about cut the check. So president Biden, well, tell me the difference between, and I know you have to go Chico, but in, uh, we don't want to be disrespectful to your time, but tell me the difference between the 1.9 trillion and the 5.3 billion that we saw at the white house and trying to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember I said it was four pathways. First of all, let me say something about fun peace. Fun Peace is a group of 12 people who saw a problem and did something about it, really, to make it short. Mm -hmm. And we said we got to get the money to the people. So we volunteered to collectively come together to get the resources to the ground because we connected to people that's dying. So Fun Peace doesn't get the money? No, we don't get a dime. We don't get a dime. Mm -hmm. We trying to make sure people on the ground get the money. And and the 5.3 billion is money that's in the infrastructure bill that was in the infrastructure bill but Horford and Booker have a bill that we need everybody's support mm. to get money to people on the ground to make sure we get job placement job training money to violence prevention organization and all the wraparound services that address the trauma I'm gonna say something interesting too Tamika and my son I did 16 years, three months in prison. The day I was released, the expectation was that I'd be normal. Mm. As if none of that never happened. So I never received any services to help me psychologically transition back into society. Now, I had a support system that helped me navigate. Imagine for everybody that's arrested or go through that trauma, the pressures of Getting out in the first day, the first thing people talking about is getting a job Mm -hmm. as if none of that had ever happened. And I think that's why the 5.3 billion is important. We got to work with these people and help them understand what you went through is not normal. Mm -hmm. No matter what you did to get there and help them go through a transition period to get back acclimated to society. I I say the same thing all the time, especially, you know, being... In prison, I didn't do as much time as you did, but just understanding just the dynamics, you know, and then being asked to just come back into a society and just you know and resume as if you've missed time, you you miss you know you miss generations like ten years is a decade, mm-hmm. you know. So many things happen in two or three years. In two or three years, being free, things have happened that have completely changed. So ten and sixteen, and I'm a seven years that I did. It was it was it was a real far stretch, and it took a lot of time. And fortunately for us, we had those support systems, man, that was able to do it. So I just want to say. I commend you, brother, on yeah. the work that you do, you know, especially where you do it at. Like you said, we just had a, you know, I was out there with you, man, and the spirit and the love that you bring to this work and to this movement is needed and is appreciated, man. So, listen, fun peace, we with you. Yeah. We want to, you know, we want, if you, we want to, whatever we can do to help, you know, we with you. We're going to make sure that we, we align with you. Once again, another one of our friends and our brothers. Keep doing the work, brother. You are appreciated. You are definitely one of the ones that are shining, and these brothers definitely need you in these streets, man. If there's an organization out there, grassroots group, that is looking for support and wants to become a part of the Fun Peace program, I want to make sure people understand clearly that Fun Peace is a conduit to help 
grassroots organizers and organizations get resources so that they can do the work in their communities. And so, like you said, there are multiple pathways, but you all have the knowledge base of how to do that. Where do folks go? How do they get in touch with you? Go to Fund Peace now, and you can you can sign up as a partner. We don't turn anybody away. And when you go to the site, fundpeacenow.org or dot com. Dot com. Fundpeacenow.com. Okay. And then you and we, said when you go to the site, it will tell you. You can sign up as a partner and come on Wednesday and have access to all the material we have for free. So it's, it's we're we doing everything we can to try to help as many people as possible. Thank you, Chico. We appreciate you for coming on and really breaking it down for us. Hopefully we can bring you back during this six-week process yes, because we know that you've been in L.A. and now you're moving on to other cities and we want to make sure people keep up with the movement and get involved. And you also talked about that bill um, that I think Cory Booker and others have and we're going to go look it up and make sure people know that they should start calling and asking for other uh, legislators and others in our federal government to support that bill so we can get the resources Sources out of the gate and into the community. That's right. And I'm a big supporter of Until Freedom. And I <laughs> want to say you. that. Thank, thank you, you so hey, much, Chico. I'm with y'all to the end. And yes. I thank y'all for putting y'all life on the line each and every day. And I want to say this publicly. Everybody needs to know Fun Peace is a hundred, a thousand percent behind my brother and sister. And we protect our, our people. We love our people. And Until Freedom is at the forefront of getting the work done in our communities. Thank you, Chico. We love we you, love King. You. See you soon. Appreciate you, man. See All you right. soon. All right. Thank, All right. You. Thank you. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more, connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and an Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough. 
But these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. So there's so much to unpack with that. Um, you know, Chico, he's such a humble, Very humble, humble, humble giant, giant. Humble giant. Um, and what he is doing and what he's involved in along with Pastor Mike McBride, uh, Erica Ford, and others who are at the helm of leadership uh, in Fun Peace is really trying to trying their best to get resources and bring it down to the street. And that's not easy, you know. And I get how some black folks are really frustrated because black people are saying, why do we always have to jump through hoops and travel under bridges and, and cross the waters and the ocean and everything else in order to get what we need in our communities? Um, and right now what I see, and I'm, and this is not fun, peace is not saying this, I'm saying it, is I see that as more more violence happens across the nation, which, as you said, shared responsibility, um, that it's a it's a it's a conversation we have to have with our own people. Mm -hmm. But as that is happening, the pressure is being applied to this administration and also to Biden specifically to increase police presence and support for law enforcement across the nation. Yeah, because there's there is a there's a false narrative that somehow police prevent violence, right? right? And, and we've never seen that happen, right? We understand what prevents violence is the lack of po when you When you get rid of poverty, right. Right? when you give resources and you give opportunities, like I said, right now, violence is the recreation for the children in the communities. They don't have these programs. We used to have basketball programs. We had after-school programs. We had um, programs within the community that... You can come in there and you can teach you how to cook. They teach you how to box. They had all of these things that all of this energy, these young kids could utilize it. And they would, they would fund certain things. You had tournaments. You had something to really keep you engaged. Right. Now these young kids just go outside and they're on the corner and they just want to be involved with gangs. And, and, and this is what's happening. This is All of this is a process, right? So until we eliminate those realities, until we put back resources in, in our communities, we cannot in any way think that violence is going to stop. Like Chico said, I said, when you go to the affluent communities, there's no police there because there's no need to. Not many. They, not many. No, I'm saying I don't see them at all. Mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't see, see any police. I, at Walmart. <laughs> I mean, not the police. You see, like, the security. No, guard. I see the police at the Walmart. Well, I mean, the Walmart I'm is... I'm trying to be funny. Like, yeah. you see them in those yeah. kinds of places, but you don't see cops Outside on the buildings, on the corner, standing right. on the when corner. When we go to our rich friend's house that yeah. we visit. Yeah. You know, like, when you go visit, I don't know, who do we visit that's rich? We visit Puff's house. Ain't no I have there. never seen a cop near Puff's no house way. just hanging out. I mean, this ain't happening because there's no need, because the people over there have everything they need. Right. So the, the, the perplexity for crime is way... Lower, so we got to understand that if, if that's a simple concept. If people have resources and they are, have all the things that they need, the possibility and the need for crime 
diminishes. It's, it does diminish. You know, so. and, you know, these interviews are so short, so we don't really get an opportunity to lay out all the things that people need to know. But reading is fundamental, and that's why, um, you know, funpeacenow.com is so important because folks can go there and really learn. And I get a text message from Fun Peace every day that tells me if I want to be a part of sessions with, that they have online where you can actually learn how to apply for money and how to get support, how to get connected with larger organizations that can actually help you and be like your fiscal sponsor. Because that's another issue. You have such small grassroots groups that they hit the ground and they're out there. They're doing real work, but they don't have their paperwork in order to be able to accept a $2 million grant. And so if they work with some of the larger organizations, then those folks will serve as the as the umbrella, if you will, and make sure that the payroll gets paid and that, mm-hmm. you know, the infrastructure is there to help so the, incubator, the, the, right, incubate. incubate these organizations. And so there's so much that you can actually learn in this process. And I, I want to make sure that we do not, that people don't just go out saying, oh, ain't nobody doing nothing for black folks. Oh, there's nothing. No, there is something, but we all have to work together. And to to our point earlier, everything is political because while the money, yes, the money is there, but then there the is the, the, the process to get it is political. And now we know that there's an actual bill that is associated with the five point three million billion dollars that President Biden has already signed an executive order. He signed the executive order to send that money out. But as we know, the system always has guardrails to try to, um, and, and, I, and I'm not saying this is on every issue. I'm not saying this is just on gun violence because it's on every single thing that you are trying to get out of the government. There's all these different areas and guardrails. And so there's a bill that Cory Booker has that will actually help to free up more of those resources and get them into the community to deal with mental health support, to deal with jobs, to deal with the things that we know, just as you just laid out so um, importantly um, and so clearly to deal with all of these issues that actually prevent us from being able to address the issue of gun violence. So we, um, you know, also as a part of this series, I think uh, what's important is while we are covering those people who have the ability to make real, like, big change. So, you know, someone like Chico, he is someone who... With the work that Fund Peace is doing, they have the ability to really help support a lot of people On across the nation. Level, yeah. Absolutely, um, and but at the same time, what I am also very, very what makes me hopeful is people like Patience Mary, who is a victim, Maggie Carey, a victim who's turned their pain into purpose. And this brother who is joining us today, Kareem Nelson, is one of those who we see at protests all the time. He's out there not just um, for, you know, for the issue around gun violence, because certainly we've seen him in the Bronx and different places um, marching to bring about change and to help curb gun violence and to bring... Um, uh, gangs together, but also I've seen him at police brutality protests. I've seen him in so many different spaces out there as a real advocate. His name is Kareem Nelson again, and his organization is Wheelchairs Against Guns. Um, And obviously the wheelchair piece is important because when you see Kareem, he is someone who's in a wheelchair, who's making it from place to place and being out there as a real advocate. So Kareem, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. 
So let's start with the personal side, um, Kareem. What happened to you? Uh, you know, obviously your story is real, and we want folks to know what you've been through. Well, you know, I was born in 74, 47, 47 this year. Um, I came up in the, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I, I like it, you know, I, I'm very transparent. I was a, I, I was a stupid kid, you know what I mean? Um, I chalked I my decisions up to having a low self-esteem. Um, I had a good household. My mom took care of me. She had a good job. My father wasn't there. He was an alcoholic. Um, you know, low self-esteem, you know, the streets called me up at a very young age. At 12, I started doing dumb shit like selling crack, playing with guns. Um, at 13, I saw, I came in, came in counter with my first instance of dumb violence. I saw my man, Dorian Dixon, get murdered right in front of me. He was 16, I was 13. And, you know, that was my sign to get out the streets, but, you know, I, I didn't take heed to it because, you know, I thought I was, you know, built for the tilt and I can handle anything that come my direction. You know, and I just, I just been through every, every, everything that you could imagine. I've been through. At seventeen, I got caught with the hammer. I went on a run at seventeen to Atlanta because at this time of my life, you know, I had a bunch of friends and we was just in and out of town selling drugs. And then, you know, I, I, I don't like to talk about that because I don't want to glorify that. But that's what we was doing at the time. And in the eight, in, the, in the early nineties, it seemed like selling drugs was a cool thing to do at the time, right? So I, I fell a victim of that. Um, at 17, I went on a run for the gun, and then I found myself in Atlanta with more gun violence. You know, my man Baby J got murdered. Then I found myself in Baltimore, and when I got to Baltimore, it was rough. You know, I, I've never seen poverty at such a, a, a high rate, right? From New York, but our poverty is way different from what they're going through. So when I got down there, you know, I, I, I thought I knew how to fight very well. You know, I, I fared well in the streets. So I was kind of, I had a chip on my shoulder. I thought I was a bully. Um, I ran across a man in a complex selling drugs. I didn't want him there anymore. You know, I just exercised my gangster. And um, the day that I saw him was Father's Day. You know, he was doing what he was doing and I was totally frustrated. I had a gun on me, but it was in the bushes. And I, you know, my frustration and my stupidity uh, allowed me to put my hands on that man. And his friend, you know, shot me. That was June, 1995, Father's Day. Um, my life, I never had a job. I don't know what working is. So being put in a wheelchair was like a like, like it's foreign to me. They wanted to give me a check that was worth five hundred and eighty-three dollars a month. I had to live off that. I had to pay rent. I had to do all that. So you know, not never having a job, low self-esteem, not believing in myself that I could do better. I feared back to the streets. And this time when I went back to the streets, um, I caught a federal federal charge. For, uh, Conspiracy to distribute 50 grams or more of crack cocaine. Uh, lost my apartment, went to jail for uh, four and a half years. God changed the crack laws for me, got me out of there early. I came home, still didn't learn my lesson. You know mm. what I mean? Still thinking about the streets and trying to catch up and my money not being the way I wanted it to be, you know, for doing dumb things in jail like gambling, you know, and, and things like that. So when I came home, I was behind the ball. I thought I had to catch up. Went right back to what I knew. And, uh, this time I trusted my my family member. I had a family member that was in the streets also. And, you know, we did this thing a thousand times between us. This one time when you know, we went to go do the business, he decided to take all the bread. And all the money wasn't mine. You know, it was some killer's money. It was some good friend's money. And, you know, the killer's wanted their money. And I couldn't produce it. 
So that night they rocked me to sleep and brought me to the band called the Pump. Drove somewhere dark. And they was about to, you know, pulling bags out the trunk to put drugs on. And I got scared. For the first time in my life, I really valued my life. Because mm. I really got scared. You know, you know, I played with them brothers. You know, God always with me. A car pulled in. We wasn't the only ones there no more. So that was that. They couldn't do what they had to do. I went home. Got my, I, had, I was fucked up at the time. I had to borrow the money from my mom to give these niggas back their bread. I gave them back their bread. And that night, August 14, night 2014, I, I sat in my bed and I, I put, I finally understood why I was in this wheelchair. And my, the, the purpose of me being in this wheelchair was to help other young men that look like me, sound like me, you know, and come from where I come from, don't have to ever go through this. So that's my story. Wow. I ain't proud of it, but you know what I mean? It is real. It's real and it's raw and it's, and it's, it's a familiar story, you know, with the, with the, um, the, exception of the wheelchair i know a lot of people have that same similar story and, you know and, and and it makes me reflect you know right now we're dealing with such an epidemic and gun violence and, you know and just the other day a young 13 year old was killed and you was just explaining how at that age you were deeply entrenched already in the streets and and, and, and the mindset for me right is what is the process? How like do, do who do you think was the influence? Do you feel like there could have been older people in your community that could have steered you a different way? Do you feel like they embraced you? They seen you going on the path? Do do you think that there could have been something that could have steered you in a different direction, or it was just something that you felt like was going to happen naturally because you wanted to do it? Hmm. Well, in the nineties, we had this. I mean, I didn't have somebody come in, deaf, tell me what it was. It was just a, yo, you can't keep wilding, you're going to go to jail. But, you know, jail is like college. So it didn't really it didn't really register with me. So I really didn't have nobody. My friends really didn't have nobody. You know, I think my teacher for that time was me seeing my friend Dorian Murder. You know what I mean? That was when I was supposed, that was the person coming to, coming to talk to me like, yo, you got to chill. You might be next. You chill, you can get life. I think that was, that was it right there. But verbally, nah, nobody really said it because I don't think nobody really knew. Everybody was all doing the same thing. So, you know what I'm saying? They're, so all of these we, programs that that we see out here now, um, you know, wheelchairs against guns, uh, you know, life camp, um, uh, you have uh, GMAC, you have, uh, who, who else, um, Man Up, you have all of these different organizations we, you're saying we didn't have access to that. You didn't have access to those types of orgs at the time. Nah, 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 no, not at all. Hmm. Not at all. It's, that's why the kids today don't realize the beauty of what they got. You know what I mean? They got real people that you know done what they've done, lived the life that they're trying to live, coming back talking to them. You know what I mean? And they don't really realize that. You know what I mean? That's a, it's a sad problem because, you know, Sometimes when I turn the news on in the morning and I hear about all these kids getting killed, I feel like I'm not doing my job. Mm. I feel like I failed. You know what I mean? I like like I left a lot of kids in limbo and limbo in my neighborhood that just thought that selling drugs and doing stupid shit is cool. And I take the blame for that. You know what I mean? That's another reason why I give back so wholeheartedly. We don't have no funding. Every time you see me or you see my organization, we out there on my dime, you know, and I make it and I make it work. God has been good and allowed me to continue to reach these kids, you know. So, wow. So you don't have the 
you don't you're not funded at all in the cure in the uh, crisis management system or any of that. Okay. Out of wow. wow, and that's and I think that's what the issue is for me. It's just understanding that the brothers like you to have a story that is relatable, that the young brothers in our community will be able to relate to, and you can change them and redirect them in a you know in a different direction. But yet our government and the organizations don't see the need and the necessity to fund people like yourself. But they want to spend that money to incarcerate our young kids, right? You know, so I think the preventatives, the preventative messages, I mean methods, are the things that we need to focus on. Mm -hmm. You know, brothers like yourself need to be funded, man. So I, I just want to say we commend you for right. the work that you're doing. We yeah. commend you just being alive, you know. Wait, tell us what Wheelchairs Against Guns actually does. And then also how can people directly support you? Um, and then I, I, I want to know if you if you know what's happening with the Fun Peace model um, and whether or not we can help to put you together with them and maybe, you know, perhaps they could be supportive in helping you get the funding that you need. So what, yeah, what does will what does wheelchairs against guns do? Our, our sole purpose is to protect children from the dangers of bullying, gangs and gun violence. You know, like I'm not a children on site, but I, I'm real heavy in schools. That's my main. I stick with the school. We've done over 200 schools. You know, we just spoke to over 2,000 students. And I've been doing going into school since since the inception of WAG, which was 2014. And we've been at everything. I, I can't. There's countless schools we've been into, countless kids whose lives have changed. You know, um, I started. I'm not good at begging. You know, I'm not good at asking because I don't know. Yeah. All I know how to do is get out there and get together on my own. So, like, just being natural with that, I went and started a, um, a company, a non-medical transportation company. Mm -hmm. Where I with my company, we transport elderly people, assess a ride, you know, assess a ride, uh, a, a curb, and all of those things. So I have cars on the street that transport these people. And I started this company for the sole purpose to fund my organization because I don't know how to ask. You know, so you could put me in touch with anybody that could, you know, direct me in the, in the ads part, it'd be a huge, you know, huge beneficial to my organization. How can we support you directly? I mean, you know, we, we have a website, wheelchairsagainstguns.org. You can go on there, you can make your contribution. Or if we, um, this 20, June 24th, I would like for both of y'all, if y'all could have the time, we have a peace treaty in Far Rockaway. Um, I'm from Far Rockaway also. I lived out there also. And the violence out there is crazy. And we're having a peace treaty, sort of like the Kings, King Stop Killing Kings, brother. Yes, and that's what we're doing on the 24th. So you know, I can send you out the information. But you can directly support us by just Googling my name, Kareem Nelson, or just going directly to our our, our, our website, wheelchairsagainstguns.org. You can do everything that you need. You well, can donate there. You can find out the programming, what we're doing, what we're about, mm -hmm. and everything. Great. Th yes, wheelchairs Karen. against guns. Thank you so much. Thank Kareem you, man, Nelson. for the brother. I appreciate you, yes. man. The work you're doing is phenomenal, and, and your story is so real and raw. And you know, and a lot of times, that's what these kids need, and that's what they respect. They respect the rawness. They understand authenticity. You can't trick these kids. You can't make believe that you done something that you ain't. You know, they they know how to smell it on you. If it ain't on you, they know it ain't on you. So <laughs> we, we appreciate you coming from that perspective, brother. Continue and, to do the work. And listen, to hear you say 
say that you actually have a transportation company and that that's how you fund your work is so important because a lot of people look at us and think that, I don't know, I guess they think money just drops off the skies or that <laughs> folks just, just, just donate and invest you know, millions of dollars. That's yep. not our situation. There are some people who have that, but unfortunately, until freedom does we not. And therefore, each one of us, of the four co-chairs of our organization, uh, Angelo Pinto is an attorney. He actually does his work every day as a lawyer. Uh, Linda Sarsour, she does political work. She works on campaigns. She does consulting work. I also, but aside from being a speaker, um, you know, who is requested to do major speeches across the country, but I also have a consulting firm and I do real work, working with corporations, working with agencies. And then my son is an artist. Um, he also is a consultant. And so we we understand the model of doing outside work and then taking your own money. And I literally was just texting where somebody in our organization said, how are we getting to some city that we're going to? And they said, it, it, how is it being paid for? And I said, well, I paid for my own ticket. And they, and they said, oh, okay, yeah, it's, it, we ain't got the money. You know what I mean? You got to pay, pay for yourself if you want to get you there. Figure it out. So thank you, Kareem. We appreciate you. Appreciate you, King. Anytime, anytime, brother, anytime. Yes, right. sir. Thanks. This is it. Like, for me, this six-episode series is, like, really important. And it's important for people like Kareem. No, we're not glorifying his story. Mm -hmm. But his story is a story that so many have. And if we can, the fact that God saved him from so many different things means that he's supposed to be here to tell somebody something. That's right. And I, I'm, that's what I want to be a part of. Exactly. You know, when you, when you look at a brother like him, just hearing his story, it sounds so familiar. I got friends and a lot of the things that he's talked about, I've actually been through some of those things myself. You know, so, and I understand how important it is to be a credible messenger. You know, the way that I do the work that I do in our communities is I come from a perspective of where they are now, mm -hmm. right? I don't, I don't have conversations with these kids or I don't have any type of communication with them from where I am, where I am, right? Because I've overcome those things and I went through that. My conversation is understanding exactly where they are and understanding that if you do not relate to where they are and you speak from this hierarchy and you've already done that, they don't relate to you. They don't, they don't believe it. they don't believe that you've been through. When you come so shine and polished and you just don't do the crime and just don't be in the streets and no, no, no. Understanding and telling them, look, I understand exactly what you're going through. I went through that. I understand what you're about to do. I understand that now. I'm I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what are going to be the consequences. The end result. The end result, because I know that. You know what I'm saying? And I say this all the time to my sons and all these kids. If you listen to me, I'm a cheat sheet through life. So brothers like him, Chico, all these brothers that we have in, you know, even the sisters, their knowledge and, you know, the wisdom, because they have experience, is so necessary at this time. Yeah. That brings me to my... I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know how you could not get something. No, because, no, you want me to tell you why I don't get it? Mm -hmm. When you have brothers like that, right? Mm -hmm. And you have so many people with knowledge in our communities, right? When I, and, and I think it's really touching me because I had a meeting with a lot of anti-violence organizations yesterday, you know, in regard to this young 13. And I think the word 13, right? And, I, and when I, what, what really hurt me was the article read that a 13-year-old boy was killed and he was the intended target. 
Yeah. Right? That means that somebody intentionally, it wasn't an accidental, it wasn't somebody, they went out intentionally and ran down, on and ran down to kill a 13-year-old boy. So, But me, who was the shooter? He could have been 12 but what I'm nowadays. Trying to, well, that's, it's not even just the shooter, right? It's the, the concept that either of them, if they was 12 or 11, right. were in a position that somebody wanted to take their life. Wow. I don't get how we as a community allow a 13-year-old boy to be so entrenched, so engulfed in the streets. Nobody redirected him. Nobody grabbed him. Nobody did anything. I do not get how he did anything that warranted him to be murdered and executed by somebody that looked just like him. Whether he was 12, whether he was 13, whether the person who shot him was grown, I don't get that. You understand what I'm saying? I, I thought we were supposed to protect the babies. I thought there was a code. I thought there was rules of engagement. I thought women and children were off guard. I, I mean, were off limits. limits mm -hmm. You know, and now it's at a point where thir 13, and I was having a conversation with my boy Gilly yesterday. He said, the shooters is 11, 13. Next, they're going to be eight. Mm. So where's the future? If we killing the babies, right? If we ain't golfing the baby, if we not... Good, you're, you're a grown man, you took an oath, you in this gang, you in this lifestyle, you made a conscious decision as a grown man, you know what comes with this. Why would you bring these babies into that? What grown man sat there and brought a, a little boy home, quote unquote, because that's how you get in these gangs. What young grown man sat there and said it was okay for this 13-year-old boy to be a part of a gang where he know he could how lose his life? How you know he was a part of a gang? Because this is what's, what's being that's said. That's what the streets say. The streets are saying. Not Gilly. Not Gilly. The streets are saying. The streets are saying that he was a part of a gang and he was in this lifestyle. My thing is, how, how are we allowing that? How, who's saying, who's sitting there and saying, oh, yo, you know what? This young boy right here, he a part of our gang. You're going to be a shooter. You're going to be this. We're going to bring you into this. We're going to let you risk your life. We're going to, we saying that your life is over right now. We're not even going to give you the chance because we grown men. We here. We know what comes with this. But they say that the gangs are getting younger and younger, right? That's a we problem. just talked about, right? That, right. So, and if you listen to Kareem, he's saying when he was 13, or that age, like, he was lit. He was in the street. So the question is, it, are the older people, the older gang members, facilitating the younger ones? Of course, ones? They, that's the only or way they can be a part of it. Or is it that the younger ones are just starting their own pop-ups? Now, I'm asking this as a, uh, what do you call it? It's like a like devil's advocate question, right? Yeah. Like, maybe they're just younger gangs that are sparking. There's no such thing as a younger gang. But I remember when I was young, and I lived in the projects in Manhattanville, there was a young boy who might have been 11, maybe maybe 10, 11. I believe he started somewhere around 10 years old. Now, my mom used to say, that child is 10 years old down there. Now, you know, he could have been 14, but she said he was 10 to make the story punch real good. But let's just say he was 10, 12, 13 years old. He was the one who was responsible for being down at this one particular place holding the drugs. Everybody could go down there to him, and they would he would direct, go in the building, do this, do that. He was the one moving all the drugs. The precinct was across the street. They could look out the window and watch what he was doing right there in the center of the project all day. He stayed outside all day. Now, Mice, when deep today, these kids be looking dingy and toe up. At that time, he was suited. 
He was a clean young man that was out there on the, and we would pass by and see him all the time just sitting out there running operation at a yeah. young, young age. So this has been going on for I'm a long time. I'm not saying it hasn't. What I'm trying to say is but regardless of how long it's happening, it's completely wrong. It is. As an adult, I, one, I, I was blessed to have OGs around. That when I tried to get into the game at that young, when I was like, oh, I wanted, they was like, man, if you don't go to school, right. if you don't go play basketball, you play basketball, we're gonna buy, we're gonna send you to camp, we're gonna buy That's you like some Shikari. sneakers. What's that that uh, that meme that they said Shakari Richards? Yeah, she ain't have no OGs because she didn't want to buy some weed. They'd be like, don't you got a race? <laughs> exactly. You ain't getting no weed. You ain't getting no weed here. Exactly, and that, and, and that's that's what community used to look like. Yeah, right. There was always the thing is we we can't allow. As grown, especially as men, for me, we cannot allow these kids to be preyed upon. Same well, I remember a young person came to me talking about being part of a gang, and somebody you love, somebody that I care about a lot, you know. And he was like, "Yo, I want to be a part of the gang," and and they said I'm good, and he was 15, and I'm like, "A gang? If you don't get out of here, I wish somebody would. I wish I would find out that one of these but people allowed you, you to be." But, but they don't but, have that. But that's where the problem you is. Because you know what? You triggered me just now when you said, especially as men, right? I heard that, and I know you're right. Because I believe men, this is a, this, and I, and, and you know, we've had some arguments. Because Erica and I and other women, we be fighting with y'all about men not respecting us in the gun violence space the way that we should. But as I've been listening to these stories today, I recognize that women have a role and men have a role. And the role of our men in this is deep and it's serious, right? And so what triggered me was, well, well, you, you said, well, men, what are we supposed to be doing? And then I thought to myself, damn, I wonder if the young boy who was down, it was the, called the flagpole in the projects. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he had a mother. I wonder if his mother was on crack. He might have been selling drugs to his mother. Like, who was there? Possibly nobody. And that's what I'm trying to say. And the fact that and if, if there was nobody there, that means that those elder people took advantage of him. Yeah. They put him in a position to where he already risked his freedom and his life, and they didn't care what came with that. You know, anybody that allowed him to be out there at this flagpole and, and risk his life and thought it was cool pretty much said that. I, I had a young boys in my kids. He was a good basketball player, young dude. He was nice in basketball. And a lot of he tried to do a lot of negative things. And I remember the OGs that was getting money. They took him under their wing, brought him into his house, moved him into his stuff trying to send him to basketball camp. They they kept him alive. Mm. You understand? He still was doing wow. a lot of things. They went up, but they made sure that he was alive. They wow. put him, they gave him so many different opportunities. Wow. You know, and he's still alive today. And he and at 13, he could have lost his life. Even though he went through some trials, he went got incarcerated and all that. But he's still it alive like he today. Might be talking about my son Lennon. Well not really, but you know, close anyway. It could be. It could be. It could it's be. Similar similarities. There's a lot of similarities in the situation. But um <laughs> another great episode. Yep, yep. You know, yep. I want to say thank you to episode. my yes. important episode. Important episode, man. You know, like we we've taken the time to go to some real, real life things. You know, gun violence is rampant in America right now, especially in our communities. And we want to focus on that. We want to give you every aspect, you know, as part of the people who are actually being harmed, the people who have actually been a part of the harming and those who are building the wraparound services and just yeah. just knowing what it takes 
to try to, you know, build and, so and change. So people won't say, I don't know what to do. I don't Where know. do I go? What this you do is boycott do. black murder. You know what I'm saying? And that's 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 the movement right now. So just want to say thank you to Chico. Yeah. You know, thank you to um, Kareem, Kareem. Yeah. For, for being here. And, and with that, yeah. we're off, man. Look, like I always say, man, I'm not going to always be right. Tamika's not going to always be wrong. But we will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. Peace, y'all. Peace. Number one podcast. That's how we own it. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears. Real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers, other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details.